Welcome to another edition of Focus on the Kingdom. I'm Anthony Buzzard inviting you again to probe the Scriptures with me as we investigate the central topic of Jesus' preaching, what he called the Gospel about the Kingdom of God. I wonder if you've recently pondered the issue, what is the Christian Gospel? The word Gospel, as I'm sure you understand, is really a synonym for the Christian faith itself. In our Western world, with the advanced technology we now enjoy, a great deal of effort is put into methods in regard to the gospel. But how much time have we spent pondering the content of the gospel, the nature of the message itself? If you ask a student of the Bible, he will probably tell you that the gospel message of salvation consists of two great truths. Firstly, Jesus died for our sins. Secondly, Jesus rose from the dead and ascended to the Father. Now, if you have stopped to ask themselves, is that really what the Bible teaches? Open the Bible, for example, and begin to read the accounts of Jesus' preaching of the gospel. Remember that Jesus was commissioned by God to give us the gospel of salvation. Now, what facts did Jesus present to the public as the gospel? Did he urge people to believe in his death and resurrection? Well, he did not. Not according to Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Jesus began in Galilee with an announcement of the gospel. He called it the gospel about the kingdom of God. Mark 1, verses 14 and 15 read like this. Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming God's gospel, and he said, The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is approaching. Repent and believe in the gospel. Now, note carefully that Jesus did not say a word at this stage about his death and resurrection. He commanded belief in the gospel about the kingdom of God, and he commanded, of course, repentance in connection with that belief in the kingdom of God. In other words, Jesus presented a message to the public. He told the public to change their minds, to alter their lifestyles, and to adopt a new set of priorities. He told them to believe in the good news concerning the kingdom of God. Now, the Bible provides a massive amount of confirmation that the kingdom of God message was indeed the heart of Jesus' mission and ministry and is therefore the heart of the Christian faith. In Luke 4, verse 43, Jesus told us the reason for his whole ministry. He said that he must proclaim the gospel concerning the kingdom of God to other cities also. That's the reason why God commissioned me. Luke 4, verse 43. Now, later, Jesus dispatched the disciples to announce the very same gospel message. I'm reading now from Luke, chapter 9, verses 2 and 6. He sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God. And they departed and began going everywhere among the villages, preaching the gospel. You see there that the gospel is clearly identified as the gospel about the kingdom. Now, what was this gospel message all about? Was it about the death and resurrection of Jesus? Emphatically not. The disciples did not at this stage even believe that Jesus was going to die and be raised. Long after they had been successfully preaching the gospel of the kingdom under Jesus' own supervision, Luke 9, verse 6, they still did not accept the idea of Jesus' death and resurrection. Luke 18, verses 31 to 33, tells us that Jesus described his coming death and resurrection, and then Luke reports 
They, the apostles, understood none of these things. Luke 18, verse 34. And yet they had been preaching the gospel, according to Luke 9, verse 6. And in that same chapter, Luke 9, verse 60, a young man is told to go and preach the gospel everywhere. But that was before Jesus had said a word about his resurrection and his death for our sins. You see, the situation is very clear. Information about the death and resurrection of Jesus was not at that stage a part of the gospel. Now, after the death and resurrection of Jesus had happened, those facts about his death and resurrection were added to the gospel message. The gospel of the kingdom was still the name of the gospel, but now the new facts about Jesus' death and resurrection were incorporated into the message of the gospel. However, the good news about the kingdom was still the principal subject of the gospel, even after the death and resurrection of Jesus. We read, for example, in Acts 8, verse 12, when they believed Philip as he preached the good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were being baptized, both men and women alike. Acts 8, verse 12. And in Acts 19, verse 8, we read that Paul continued to speak out boldly for three months, reasoning and dialoguing and persuading them concerning the kingdom of God. Acts 19, verse 8. Again, Paul solemnly testified. I'm quoting here again from Scripture. Paul solemnly testified about the kingdom of God and tried to persuade them concerning Jesus from morning till night from morning till evening. For two whole years, Paul was preaching the kingdom of God and trying to persuade them about the Lord Jesus Christ. Acts 28, verses 23 and 31. Paul was able to describe his whole mission as what he called the preaching or proclamation of the kingdom of God. Acts 20, verse 25. And that's exactly the description which Jesus gave of his own mission in Luke 4, verse 43. Now, the death and resurrection of Jesus are, of course, a vital and essential part of the gospel, but not the whole gospel. The biblical gospel announces first the coming kingdom of God, a political monarchy to be set up in Palestine, with Jerusalem as its capital and its authority extending to the whole world. Jesus the Messiah will return to this earth to administer a new world order, this is the only hope for the world. The gospel invites you to rule with Christ in that coming kingdom. See, for example, Isaiah chapter 32, verse 1, Luke 19, verses 11 and 17, Revelation 2, verse 26, Revelation 3, verse 21, and Revelation 20, verses 1 to 6, and many other passages of Scripture. Now, in order to gain immortality and a place in the coming kingdom, we must repent by believing in the gospel of the kingdom, by aligning ourselves, in other words, with God's great kingdom plan. No wonder then that Jesus said that we must seek first the kingdom of God, Matthew 6, verse 33. We must accept as the seed message in our heart the message of the kingdom, Matthew 13, verse 19. And we must be baptized, and then by living in faith and obedience to Christ, we are to prepare for the coming of Jesus to establish his kingdom on earth. Such is the gospel message proclaimed by Jesus and the apostles. The Bible, in fact, from cover to cover, is a kingdom book. It describes how God is working out his Operation Kingdom 
in order to restore peace and authority and sound and sane government to this earth. Now, preaching in the New Testament means, in fact, proclaiming or heralding the gospel about the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus, Acts 8, verse 12. Repentance means believing in that gospel of the kingdom, in Jesus as the Messiah, and also his death and resurrection, and reorienting our lives to a new direction, turning away from disobedience to the Messiah, and ourselves becoming communicators of the gospel message of the kingdom. As, for example, in Luke 9, verse 60, Jesus urged a new convert to go everywhere and to declare far and wide the gospel about the kingdom. Luke 9, verse 60. Now, receiving Jesus and his gospel message of the kingdom also means, of course, accepting the death of Jesus as a sacrificial atonement for our sins. The kingdom of God is beautifully defined, among many other passages, by Mark 11, verse 10, where the crowds there rejoice over the prospect of the coming kingdom of our father David. I have to tell you that the kingdom of God never means anything less than the coming kingdom of our father David in the teaching of Jesus. Kingdom of God is a kind of code word in the New Testament. It's a reference to the coming world government which Messiah is going to establish in Jerusalem renewed after the time of the great tribulation. Jesus will return in power and glory. He will destroy the hostile anti-Christian forces ranged against him at that time and he will take over the reins of world government resurrect the dead, the faithful dead of all the ages, and make them immortal, at which point they will supervise a new world government with Jesus. Its headquarters will be in Jerusalem. The nations will go up to Jerusalem to learn sound and sane ways of living, and the earth will be filled with the knowledge of God as the waters cover the sea. The lion and the lamb and the bear and so on will graze together. Poisonous snakes will become harmless and nature itself will reflect the glorious harmony which will then exist among nations who will destroy their weapons of war and use them as farm implements. All of that is found in page after page of the Scriptures. It's a glorious hope for our world and your only hope for immortality and a place in the kingdom of God. It was the Pharisees who tried to silence the enthusiasm of the disciples for Jesus and the coming kingdom of our father David. In response, Jesus said, If these disciples become silent, the very stones will cry out. Luke 20, verses 39 and 40. Later, in Acts 1, verse 6, the apostles, who had just undergone an intense period of training under Jesus in the affairs of the kingdom, Acts 1, verse 3, they asked if the time had now arrived for the kingdom to be restored to Israel. Acts 1.6. Now, the New Jerusalem Bible translation notes that the apostles still expected the Messianic kingdom to be the political restoration of David's dynasty. Well, now, of course, that's absolutely right. And that understanding of what the kingdom of God means was, of course, correct. They had been preaching about the kingdom for several years in the company of the Messiah and having been taught by the Messiah Jesus himself. Certainly, Jesus did not suggest in his reply in Acts 1-7 that the apostles had an inadequate knowledge of his central theme and the heart of his gospel. Truly, they did believe that the kingdom of God would be the restoration of the kingdom to Israel, a restored political monarchy with its headquarters in Jerusalem. 
That's what the kingdom of God means in the teaching of Jesus. Simple common sense is sufficient to tell us that the Lord's agents in the preaching of the gospel rightly understood what the kingdom of God was. Their question in Acts 1.6 was a right question, a sensible question, based on the information they'd received, not only from the Bible, but from Jesus himself. How otherwise could Jesus have already entrusted them with the task of proclaiming his gospel of the kingdom, not only in Israel, but to the whole world? Luke 9, verses 2 and 6, Matthew 28, verse 19. Let's summarize our findings. The kingdom of God is a code word in the New Testament. It's a word well understood by Jesus and the disciples. It means the restoration of political monarchy in Israel. It means, as all the prophets of Israel had foreseen, a time coming when the Messiah will exercise a sound and sane government in Palestine with its beneficial effects stretching to the far corners of the globe. Jesus was the Messiah. As Messiah, he claimed to be the one destined to rule the world. In his announcement of the good news about the kingdom, he invited all who would be willing to believe in his cause to join him and prepare to rule the world when he returned in power and glory to destroy the anti-Christian forces which would be ranged against him at that time. This is the kingdom message, and it makes perfect sense in its first century Palestinian Jewish environment. The kingdom was the object of hope for the nation of Israel, those who believed in the divine scriptures and in God's grand scheme for restoring peace on this planet. We invite you to request from us our free book on the coming kingdom of God, a solution to the riddle of the New Testament. You'll find this helpful in your personal Bible study at home. Join us again for our continuing discussion of Jesus' favorite topic, the gospel about the kingdom of God.